and we welcome into the program from CBSSports.com, Shehan Jayaraja. Shehan, good morning. How are you, my friend? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Let's up, and I know we want to get your thoughts on the basketball game last night and what a terrific game it was, but let's begin with news coming out of uh, Baylor University, and let's start with uh, the uh, the contract extension for Mac Rhodes and just your overall thoughts and impressions of the uh, the, the long-term extension. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's a, it's a no-brainer for Baylor. I think it's a huge deal to, to lock him up long-term, and I mean, Think back, I mean, when he took over in 2016, I, I mean, they basically announced it during Big 12 media days, almost like backhandedly, right? Like, I mean, it was it was a big surprise. Uh, there was not a whole lot of fanfare about it. And now, six years later, I mean, there, there are few athletic departments in the country that are rolling quite like Baylor is right now. So I think Mac Rhodes has done an incredible job, obviously made multiple hires in, uh, in multiple different sports and seems to have hit on almost every one of them. So... I, I think that it's a no-brainer for Baylor. I think that, uh, that he's a huge part of why the athletic department has been so successful over the past five years. And, uh, you know, they, they said the thing, you know, this is the contract that should keep him in Waco for the rest of his career. And I think that that's, uh, that's exactly how everybody should want it. It's not a surprise, is it, Shaham, that, uh, that these championships and these, and these terrific hires go hand-in-hand with, with the director of athletics? Yeah, no question. I mean, I think that, one thing that you hear a lot about in athletics is sort of the concept of alignment, right? It's, it's having the coaching staffs, having the athletic department, having the university, having the board of regents all on the same page. And I think that Mac Roach is a huge part of that. You know, obviously I, I think that also Linda Livingstone is, is a big part of that, but, but Mac Rhodes, I think, has, is really somebody who has got everybody on the same page. And, and you look around the country, I mean, it's something that you can't take for granted, right? I mean, you, you look at even a situation like the University of Texas, historically, that's been a huge part of their struggles, is that there's so many people uh, trying to, I guess, kind of get their hands on, a, on everything that's going on. And I think that Mac Rhodes has done a great job of obviously raising money, of, of being forward-thinking, of making great hires, uh, and giving coaches what they need to succeed. So I, I think that definitely, you know, an athletic director can be a huge plus, uh, you, you know, if you get a really good one in there. And I think that Mac Rhodes has done a great job. Last night in the NCAA championship, Kansas with a, an outstanding comeback, the biggest in NCAA history. What does it say about the Big 12 that they've had – a team in that championship game, the last three championships. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's just a testament to how good this league has been. Right. I mean, it seems like for so many years, I mean, dating back maybe even the last 10 years, you know, the big 12 is rated as one of, if not the top league in the country based on stuff like Ken Palm and RPI and that rating and all that. And, it hasn't necessarily delivered when it came to championships, but finally it seems like you know that that's kind of uh, started to happen, right? With Texas Tech in 2019 playing in the game, and then Baylor and Kansas back to back, and and I gotta say, you know, it's a little fitting to me that after 2020, when Baylor and Kansas were perhaps the two best teams in the country, and they didn't get to play in the NCAA tournament because of COVID. It's fitting to me that that Baylor and Kansas win the next two college basketball national championships because you know both of them really had a good chance of winning in 2020. So I mean the, the level of basketball right now is insane. And the other thing to point out too is that you know obviously with this new round of realignment coming in, the Big 12 is about to add Houston. And so if you look at the Ken Palm ratings, you know the advanced analytic rating, Big 12 would have 
consistent number two, number three, number four, and number seven teams in the country. So, I mean, this is such a good league, and, and I think it's only going to keep getting better. Shayhan, I kind of go with that. Uh, Flo Thamba announced he's coming back next year. So when you consider that and with going off of what you just said, does that put Baylor and maybe Kansas in a position again to have another Big 12 representative in the national championship next season? No question. I, I mean, I think that I think that if Baylor was healthy this year, right? I mean, you look at what North Carolina was able to do with a short bench, and I mean, I, you know, what a, what a what bad luck to get North Carolina in the second round of the tournament uh, as a one seed, right? I mean, that, that's just such bad luck, and obviously not having uh, Jonathan Shamwachachua, not having LJ Cryer. I mean, if if Baylor is a healthy team this year, I think that they have a really good chance of playing in the national championship game. And so you look into next year, I mean, you get both those guys back. They should be healthy. You had Keontae George. He's one of the top five recruits in the entire country. You get Langston Love back. who's a top 40 recruit who missed this season with an injury. I mean, you just have so much depth. And like you mentioned, Flo Thomba coming back, you know, we'll have to wait and see on, on Jeremy Sohan. Um, but you, you know, you'd think that he would probably leave, but I, I think that Baylor's going to be so deep at guard next year. And you look at what Baylor was able to do in 2021 because of the guard depth that they had, because they had three NBA caliber guards on their roster. Hey, I think that 2022, 2023 has a chance to be a roster kind of like that as well. So I, I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited. And, and yeah, I definitely think that Baylor has a chance to, to make it back and win the whole thing next year. Spring football as uh, it continues in another uh, another workout for the Bears coming up uh, today. When you're when you're Dave Aranda and this staff, you you had a 12 win season. You won the conference championship. You you won the Sugar Bowl. What are the things that you're looking to get done in spring, as far as these 15 practices? Yeah, I think that a huge part of it is just getting new guys reps. Right. I mean, getting guys who haven't played before some live action, because, you know, obviously we talk a lot about snaps during games and, and that kind of live action. But, you know, I mean, when, when you are going through practices, because you only get 15 of these things in the spring and, and 15 in the fall, uh, you know, you don't necessarily get a lot of opportunity to get your desk a lot of work. So I think that that's going to be the biggest thing this upcoming year, especially after losing a couple of key pieces like Jalen Petrie, like Terrell Bernard. I, I think that that's going to be a huge part is just getting a lot of guys reps, getting a lot of guys ready, getting your freshmen and sophomores especially uh, kind of integrated into the lineup. And then I think, you know, the other thing too, of course, is uh, getting your quarterbacks a little bit of a, of development, right? I mean, we've heard that so obviously they're kind of opening up that battle. And so I, I think that it's really about trying to get your entire roster ready because the reality is, right, I mean, the difference between the good teams and the great teams of the country is depth, is having, you know, uh, is having players in a roster that kind of goes one through 85. And I think that this is a big opportunity for them to just kind of create the next in line so that they are prepared if there are injuries, so that they do have guys to replace some of these uh, key contributors in the secondary, for example. So I, I think that's the biggest thing is just getting guys ready and, and figuring out what exactly you have. Dave Aranda said he wants to name his starting quarterback coming out of the spring in today's college football. Is that kind of a slippery slope? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think it is. You know, to me, the way that I interpret kind of how he's handled this whole competition is basically, you know, they feel like Gary Bohannon's the guy, but Blake Shapin's done enough to deserve a shot at the throne, right? Like, I think that that's what it really feels like. And so we'll kind of see, obviously, in the in the next couple of weeks whether that's 
kind of ends up being the case, right? I mean, because Gary Bohan has started every game that he was healthy this past season and uh, and obviously led them to a great record. And so I, I do think that um, that based on the way that they are kind of handling things, that it does make sense. But, you know, and the other thing, too, that I think is at least a little bit helpful is that Gary Bohannon is a lot older than these other quarterbacks in the room, right? Like he's, he's going to be a senior this upcoming year. This could be his last year on campus as opposed to the other quarterbacks in the room. It's freshman and sophomore. So I don't think that, for example, if a starter's name, that means that Blake Shapin immediately jumps into the transfer portal or that Kyron Jones immediately jumps into the transfer portal. So I think that it helps from that perspective, just that you have that age gap as opposed to a bunch of underclassmen competing for a spot. But it is a little unusual, but I think that it's also pretty typical of Dave Aranda to be honest, be forthright, uh, to, you know, kind of want to do things in set time. And so I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Sehan, looking at Houston, uh, when Alton McCaskill tears his ACL at the running back position, how big of a blow was that for the Cougars? And who do the, how do they go about replacing him? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a huge, huge deal. He was one of the best running backs in the country last year as a freshman. And, uh, you know, they were really excited about him when he came out of high school. He was a top 500 recruit from right in their backyard, and he contributed right away. And, and they've had running back talent before, but Ultimate Caspo looks like he might be one of the best running backs they've had in a long, long time. So losing to an injury is a big deal. They did add a, a running back transfer from USC, uh, a former kid from Pearland. And so, you know, he's going to probably have a chance to come in and, and contribute right away. But it's hard to imagine that anybody's going to be able to kind of replace the production that, that Ultimate Castle had, you know, having double-digit touchdowns, uh, being like a real sort of workhorse back for them. You know, I think that Clayton Toon at quarterback is really going to have to step up for them. Obviously, they've got great receiver talent like Nathaniel Dell, but it does make their job, I think, a lot harder as an offense not having a workhorse back because he was such a huge part of their success last year. Talking with Shehan Jayaraja from CBSSports.com. Shehan, uh, is there any news on on Texas and Oklahoma and, or an update on when they might make the move over to the SEC? Not a whole lot right now, honestly. I mean, it's been pretty quiet on that front. I think, you know, we, we've heard some reports in the past couple of weeks and months that, you know, maybe it'll be a little later than they thought because maybe some of these schools don't want to pay the, you know, the, the potentially tens and tens of millions of dollars extra that an extra year would cost them. So, I mean, you know, for me, I've always sort of assumed that it's probably going to happen in 2023, but it could be 2024. You know, it could be a whole other year after that. Um, we haven't heard a whole lot of movement on that front. Obviously, technically, Texas and Oklahoma are contracted through 2025, and, and we haven't heard a, a whole lot about them raising huge amounts of money or, or making a lot of steps towards getting out of that contract because the reality is, you know, for these schools, they have to pay the equivalent of, uh, of what they would have received in, uh, in payments from television contracts as a buyout. So, I mean, if, if they leave – Four years early, I mean, you're paying probably like $160, $180 million. And so, you know, I don't know if there's a whole lot of urgency on their, on their front to try to get out of it just because of the amount of money involved. Now, again, you know, anything can change any day. I mean, it, gosh, we've seen with Conference USA, which obviously a lot less money involved, but, uh, you know, a lot of schools have, have been like, no, we want to get out now. We're going to make it happen. And, you know, so, so maybe that happens at some point with Texas and Oklahoma. But I think the other thing, too, just to be quite honest, is that I think that Texas and Oklahoma also aren't rushing to get to the SEC while both of their programs are in a tenuous position. 
And obviously Oklahoma has a new head coach and Texas is coming off of a five and seven season. So it wouldn't shock me if they want to try to get their ducks in a row on the football field before they rush to try to make it to the SEC. Who has the most question marks in spring that they have to answer coming out of it? In the country? No, in the Big 12. I'm sorry. Yeah, in the Big 12. Uh, You know, for me, I I think that West Virginia is just kind of a mess right now. You know, they lost another great defender in Akeem Mesidor. You know, he he was a star for them last season. They've lost something like 20 kids to the transfer portal. They don't have an answer at quarterback. They're, you know, they're in the conversation with JT Daniels, the Georgia transfer quarterback. But, um, you know, I just look at that roster and I don't know what there is to be excited about. You know, defensively, they've been pretty good the last couple of years but offense has really held them back. And I don't see where the leaps are going to come on the offensive side of the ball for them to, to be able to kind of get things in order. So I, I really don't love what they're kind of looking at right now. And, and the thing is too, I think that it's really in contrast to almost the entire rest of the big 12. I mean, you know, TC is maybe a, a school that, uh, that you don't know what they're going to do, but I, I do trust their coaching staff, which is new to have a plan um, and, and to bring in guys to make sense. But I don't really know what the plan is right now at West Virginia. And if they don't find somebody who could be a star for them long-term at quarterback, I just don't know what the future looks like for Neil Brown. You mentioned the the new regime over at TCU and that opened things up at SMU. When you look at the ponies and really Tanner Mordecai, this is going to be another system that he's going to have to learn. How do you see him faring uh, with Rhett Lachey or is this something where you kind of get through the season and it's more so groom and Preston Stone to take over? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that the thing that you say about Rhett Lashley is that he has done a great job of creating offensive systems that are quarterback friendly. That, and the other thing, too, obviously, is that he did not recruit Tanner Mordecai. He was a part of that process. But he, you know, his offense and his fingerprints were all over that program when he did leave for Miami. So, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be a huge, huge transition for either Rhett Lashley or for Tanner Mordecai. Uh, I do actually expect that they're going to be a little more run-based than uh, than they were maybe this past year, especially getting TJ McDaniel hopefully back. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that it's not going to be a huge transition. I think that he's going to be asked to do a lot of what uh, a lot of what he was asked to do last year. Now, the big question, too, though, is that I think that he has – a legitimate quarterback battle on his hands with Preston Stone, the really talented uh, four-star kid who's uh, a redshirt freshman this upcoming year. I expect Mordecai to win that job, but I do think that uh, that things will probably open back up uh, from that perspective. But I, I do think that Tanner Mordecai will win that job. I think that he's going to be. Rhett Lashley's done a great job of creating uh, quarterback situations for Preston Stone. Um, Shay, I think we're we're kind of losing your phone there. Just a second. Let, let's see if we can get one more question in real quick. Uh, it, it, I want to take you back to West Virginia. You you mentioned the wheels are kind of off there. It, it, the simple question is why? Did we lose Shay? Yeah, sorry, you cut out for a second. What's up? I was just saying uh, we were we were talking about uh, you. We we mentioned West Virginia and and what's going on there, and, and you know the wheels kind of off with with the program and Coach Brown. The simple question is why is that happening? Yeah, I mean I think that 
he just came in and it's he I mean people forget he won 10 games a year at Troy which is a very difficult place to win I, you know he obviously did a good job offensively when he was offensive coordinator at Texas Tech it just feels like they haven't had a unified sort of plan and, and one thing that I think that you point to is that you know culturally I mean there are two guys who are there are many guys who are more different than Dana Holgerson and Neil Brown in terms of putting together coaching staff in terms of team culture stuff like that and so I do think that there is a little bit of fight in terms of like guys who maybe fit Dana Holgerson who are on the roster versus guys who might fit Neil Brown, who he's still trying to figure out a little bit. But, you know, I, I don't feel like they've had a unified plan. I don't think that they I, I think that maybe offensively, you know, he came in and, and tried to do some things that uh, that honestly, you know, from a from a spread perspective, from an area perspective. Like the Big 12 is made to stop a lot of what Neil Brown has wanted to do historically, and so I think that I think that you look at sort of the whole situation there, and and I I think that he just hasn't seemed necessarily uh, ready to evolve with the Big 12. So he's a good coach. I mean, I think that he has a chance to to have a second act, whether it's at West Virginia or elsewhere. But uh, but it just hasn't seemed to work out, and I I don't know if it's too far gone at this point. Jayhan, thanks. Uh, what do you got? Uh, what do you got coming uh, in the, on CBSSports.com? Yeah, we got some articles coming out on some uh, some spring games and stuff like that, some previews. I've got something coming up on Texas A&M, hopefully on Thursday. So uh, so stick around and, and read it all on CBSSports.com. Shehan, as always, thanks. We appreciate your time this week. Yeah, thank you for having me. Talk to you soon. Shehan Jayaraja from CBSSports.com.